Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer with Vortis Sound Studios. This week on the podcast, I've got an interview, this time with Charlie Dowsell, the guitarist and singer of the band Sail. It's a really interesting and wide-ranging interview about all sorts of things like finding a producer, how to deal with a problem when your guitar string snaps five times in a gig. That's quite an amazing story. And, and how do you develop your ideas, your raw ideas, into really good, polished songs? There's loads of things to take away from this interview. I think it's really worth listening to. Quick caveat, unfortunately, the sound quality of this particular recording isn't quite where I'd normally like to have the podcast, but it was such a good interview that I wanted to carry on. As you'll see, it's actually one of the longest interviews I've ever done. Charlie and I have known each other for about 10 years now, so we got on very well. You may be able to tell. Anyway, on with the interview. So, Charlie, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, Phil. Um, very much the same as many of us at the moment, I think, which is just trying to find our way through the, the strange era in which we find ourselves. Yeah. Otherwise, all right, thanks, yeah. To kick off, how did you get into music? And then to sort of append my question, it's my fancy word, um, how did the band sort of start? Because I'm assuming there's kind of one will link into the other. Yeah, 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 I think so. Um, for me... I mean, for many of us, I think it started with the old, uh, oh, my parents like X and Y, so sort of by nature of living with them, so did I, and that's no different here. Uh, Mum was uh, a very big Queen fan, very big Queen fan. Excellent. Oh, yeah, good, good start. And then in the car, we uh, she'd always have ABBA's Greatest Hits playing. So Fair. we get Queen and ABBA, which is an interesting start there, but they stayed with me through all of this. Very good sort of experimental rock music and just corny pop why not it's a great mix yeah yeah it's, it's it's something and um when i was a bit older that was when i was very young when i was a little bit older about 14 or so i i discovered this band through dad called deep purple and suddenly my tiny 14 year old brain was ripped wide open <laughs> and all these ideas about oh here's what music is came flooding in and from there is Deep Purple, Thin Lizzy, White Snake, and then I mean the rest is history from there, really. What um, an excellent routine! Yeah, it was good, and I'm sort of glad that I started there because you know you, you speak to a lot of folks who start with um, I'm going to say maybe not the best term, but like heavier stuff. And I feel like you you almost miss out on the kind of majesty of the just bonkers nature of stuff like the Led Zeppelins and the Deep Purples and the Sabbaths to a point as well. Yeah, but um. Coincidentally, a slight tangent, I will answer your question, but when we went to see Sabbath many years ago, still one of the best gigs ever. For those who don't know, Charlie and I know each other and have known each other for 10 years now. Probably should have said that, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we went to the same university, so that's how we know each other. Carry on. Yeah, so um, that's where that started and kind of went from there. Uni was a big one too, discovering a lot of weird kind of heavier stuff like the namesake of your t-shirt, which says Mastodon, I believe. Hey. Yeah, there you go. Bands like that and Red Fang and stuff. And recently there's been a lot of uh, interesting picks. I've, I've been getting into uh, Converge a little bit recently, Idols too. Idols are absolutely brilliant. Um, they're all sort of the road from us in Bristol. Anyway, I digress now. Um, so the band, that was the other thing. We started in college when I was a wee bairn, as in 16. 
our drummer Tom, who this was around the time that I was sort of just getting into stuff like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and going, oh yeah, these bands are great. Tom knew that I was into Deep Purple and I sort of knew he was too. And we, we didn't quite know each other at this point. We, we sort of knew of each other, existed in a similar sphere. And uh, just out of the blue, one day I was sat in the Costa and he comes up and goes, you play guitar, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You drummer, yeah. You like Deep Purple, right? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. And you, yeah, I'm sure you can imagine the sort of nature of that conversation. It went very quickly to, would you like to start a band? Yes, I would, thank you. Fair enough. We were awful at this point. I've barely been playing a year. I'm sure Tom will also confess to not being quite the drummer he is now, but I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? So it was good fun. Good fun. You were 16 and jamming around the two of you at first. Yeah, yeah. Just started with me and Tom in the very early days of me and Tom. Then one of our mutual friends, Robert Kosh, he came in on second guitar and we, we roped in our friend Perry as a bassist who it's important to note at this point did not play bass guitar. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, Perry, we need a bassist. Do you want to be in a, in a metal band? He went, yeah, cool. And uh, <laughs> it was an interesting start, but my God, if it wasn't fun, it was a lot of fun. We were sort of coming up with dumb songs about uh, Wellington Monument, which is a tall monument down the road from us, <laughs> and uh, other such greatest hits, which nobody needs to hear. We sort of did that for a few years. We had um, one of our friends, Ross, singing, and the first gig we played, um, Ross, decided before that he's like no i'm sorry this isn't the band for me so oh. before it was like oh what do, what do we do vocally who's gonna do it it's fine guys i'll do it i'll do it i'd never sung like well i sung live before once and so we went to this oh god it was like playing on the back of a lorry in a field in the middle of somerset somewhere i actually can't remember where and i'm singing playing guitar and thinking, what what is going on here it was terrifying but it's a way to break the ice indeed Anyway, this, this, was, this was the first incarnation of the band that became Sale. Uh, at this point, we were theories of revolution and very bad. A few, I think about a year after that, our friend Robert Kosh leaves and is replaced by Tim, our current guitarist. Yeah, Tim was um, in a different place musically at that point. Very into sort of stuff like Fleetwood Mac and Prince and that side of thing. So it was nice to have the kind of different influence, even at this young age where none of us know exactly what we're doing. He comes in and goes, oh, this is a nice different flavor. That's cool. Fast forward a few years and kind of truncating it a bit. We just sort of jammed and tried to write some music. Some of it was all right. Most of it was not. Perry leaves in 2013 so that he can go off to university and live the London life that he wanted to. And then the next year, Kynan joins the band. At this point, this band is now called Husk. It's a different band. It's kind of very much like Baby's first electric wizard cover version sort of thing <laughs> what a description yeah um yeah, imagine if fisher price made um electric wizard it would be that sort of thing it was halcyon i suppose the word would be kynan joined us in 2014 and again he's another he's our bassist now he's another one with a different flavor on stuff when he joined he was very kind of he'd come from a a death metal stroke doom metal band wow okay so, totally different again we were sort of kind of a sludgy stoner metal kind of thing he's got this flavor but with the punk edge too and so our stuff started getting kind of tighter and i guess faster as well <laughs> once kynan joined there was something about the, this this group of individuals these four people where the penny dropped and went there's something in this we can do something with this 
And honestly, a lot of it, Phil, was just us being not bad, but not great for many years. You just put your face on the grindstone and just do it for a bit. And eventually it came to the point just before we released our first album, A Sale, where we decided we need a name change. We need to uh, reinvent where we're at because it's this is different to what's come before. Hence going, we're called Sale now. Here's our album, Slumber Song. And it, it came from there, really. So hopefully in some version of events that answered the question. And then here you are today. Huzzah. Fast forward a few years and I'm still in the flat drinking juice. Hurrah. Um, I guess. So something I'd love to kind of turn back to to get a bit more nerdy and technical about band things. Um, you said that you spent a long time as a band songwriting. I guess I've got two questions, which is what does that look like for you as a band when you songwrite? Because that's different for different bands. And how do you know when you've written a good song? That's <laughs> I think that's a harder question. Um, for a long time, for a long, long time, I think a lot of it was feeling it out and you know, you, you have these moments where somebody will write a riff or a part and you go, is this a song? I don't know. And then you just sort of throw it at the wall and see what happens. But it's evolved somewhat since then. Now that we're a more, much more cohesive unit, we all know what the other individuals sort of appreciate. And it's not necessarily that you write for that. Obviously, you write for yourself, your band. But a lot of it still sort of comes down to throwing that riff at the wall and seeing what happens. Tim and I, for the most part, write most of the music. Certainly Tim, he's an absolute songwriting machine. We have a, a, um, a Facebook group that's private where we'll just share riffs and ideas and sort of lyrics and that sort of thing. So I'd, I'd say that for sale, a lot of it is, it'll start with this kind of, this riff. It always starts with the music for us, being as though none of us are sort of proper vocalists, if you will. Uh, yeah, so it starts with the music. One of us will come up with a riff or a part, and then we'll sort of expand it from there in actual live practice. We do jam a lot as a band when we go to our practices, which we tend to do fairly regularly. Uh, we'll usually start with just having a jam and seeing what comes out of it. And you get a lot of ideas from that, a lot of inspiration, which is really cool. But it'll start with this kind of embryonic idea and then either We'll, we will develop that together, or if it's a more personal song to one of us, usually it will be developed kind of separate, but then brought to the table. And it's always the way, irrespective of whether it's kind of a more collaborative or more solo effort, everyone puts their stamp on it, which to us is a very important thing. I think ultimately songwriting to us is kind of like four people expressing themselves, ultimately, even if it starts somewhere that is quite individual. It becomes this big thing that's, hey, we wrote this. This is really cool. We wrote one recently um, and we've recorded it since, which we're going to release sort of probably early-ish next year. And uh, we all came away from the studio going, this is the best song we've ever written. And admittedly, it is true to say every song that we're writing at the moment, we go, this is the best song we've ever written. But once this was recorded, listening back to it, it's like, oh no, this is the one, man. At the time of writing, you, you sort of feel this kind of sense of achievement, I suppose. If you're talking about like, how do you know when you've written one in the moment? There's, there's a real sense of coming away from that practice, that rehearsal where you go, this song is done. And you, it sort of just becomes everything inside, you know, like, 
you sort of almost can't stop thinking about this song that you've just come up with going, man, this song is great, huh? What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. And we'll usually bounce back in our private chat as well, like, oh man, last night was good, eh? Yeah, that song's great. But for me, the real tell of a good song is when we record it, hence referencing uh, this thing earlier. So um, when we recorded this song, oh, one thing we also do every practice is that we'll always film us playing it so we can then hear it in its kind of basic embryonic form. That gives you a good idea. And you kind of get that buzz, you go, oh, we might be onto something here. But actually in the studio, so we came away recently having done this song with something like 70 guitar tracks on. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was quite frankly absurd, but there were so many different textures and parts. And part of the beauty of being in the studio, as I'm sure you and many of your folks will know, is just that kind of creative inspiration that happens there that you don't get anywhere else. You know, you'll come up with just, hey, what about this? Just there, like that. And you listen back and go, that's exactly what that needed. And I think for me, that's the tell of a good song is when you can come away, certainly from a studio session, listening back to what you've written, what you've recorded, and just know that there is something in that. It is kind of a hard one to describe, isn't it? Having a, had a stab at answering that question, I now understand why you say it's a mean question. I think you're really onto something when you say it's really important whether you're recording or you're just in a jam situation to have something recording what you're doing so that you can go back to it. Because I often find, even when I'm playing music, that a song sounds very different when you're playing it to when you just listen to it, when it's more of a third party kind of scenario. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And there's something, because playing is such an involved part of, I can say playing is such an involved part of playing. Tautology is indeed tautological, but you're right when you're playing it you're so focused on what you're doing and i mean music is a strange thing obviously when you play live you feel it as much as you do it but there is something about it when you're playing you are the song when you record it you can step back and admire appreciate the thing in front of you i guess it would be like writing a book versus reading a book or taking a picture versus being in it i don't know it's kind of i describe it more like being in a film perhaps being an actor in a film yeah yeah that's it that's a good a good metaphor i think because you're so involved you are the process another thing i'd like to briefly touch on sort of rounding back to i guess the songwriting thing um again is a lot of bands i know would love the kind of deep purple black sabbath vibe where they can just start jamming and they go for 20 minutes and they go oh look here's a song or here's part of a song and i know i know a lot of bands who'd love to do that and i know a lot of bands who can't do that or whenever they try it it just sounds like utter trash so so what what do you do like is there anything you do that's specific or do you just kind of go for it and see what like three seconds sound good at the end of it it's usually i've got to say it is usually kaiden that starts the jams Hmm. there's something about his playing that's so um, just hooky and physical. So we'll, we'll all be setting up and he'll just start chunking away at this riff. And then Tim will start and then Tom will join and then I'll join in. And then 10 minutes later, we've finished jamming and who knows what happened in that. Um, there are moments in that where, frustratingly, we're quite bad as a band at filming the jams we do. However, the, the rehearsals we do of songs were quite good at oh, let's see what this song sounds like now. But the jams, we just sort of tend to just go. And we've all said every time, we need to start recording these. These are amazing. But there are still moments in that. 
where we'll, we'll be jamming something and we'll stop, look back and go, that riff you were doing, the one that goes like this, oh yeah, yeah, can you play that again? And you sort of try your way around it. It's worked sometimes. And it, I don't know what it is. There are just those moments where something stands out so much, even in the moment of playing, one of us will usually have enough initiative to go, I need to remember this because this is good. If we've got enough whereabouts to do that, we'll revisit. And often, I mean, um, not a lot of those have actually transitioned into songs yet, but there have been a few instances. Kynan wrote something recently, this kind of sort of plodding, chunky riff that's kind of got a cool swagger. Um, that, I think that started out as a jam and has now since become a song. But it started with this kind of this, this hook, this riff. And we took that and went, we need to run with this. This is great. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to, I think. When you just know you're on to a winning streak with a riff or a part, you go, let's just develop that. The, the diamonds come through or whatever you want to say. I don't know. <laughs> Insert metaphor here. Wow. Okay. I, I will I will not do that. I'll leave it as blank as you left it. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> gigs. I mean, gigs sort of, I know you've done one fairly recently, but on the whole, gigs sort of aren't really a thing at the moment. Yeah. Um, very sadly. It's a bit of a sort of sore topic, I know, for many people. But ignoring that for a second, <laughs> um, in, in quote-unquote normal times, when you as a band go, you know, we've got this gig, we've booked it here, have you spent time focusing on sort of like an efficient setup and set down? Or what? How, what's your process around that? Because, you know, when you're at a gig situation, you only have generally a few minutes to get your stuff on and off stage. And it's very pressured. So what's your approach to that? One thing we've always strived to do is be as slick and professional in air quotes as possible, in as much that it's not necessarily for us. Yes, we're the band and we're part of the performing acts, as it were. But there's so many other people behind the scenes that make these things happen. These are the, the promoters, the sound guys, you know, the, the front of house folks. And it, it would kind of be, from our point of view, just a bit, kind of a bit sore if we were so slow and, like, oh, well, we'll take our time and just set up and it doesn't matter how long it takes. It's kind of a bit of an insult to them if you just swan on stage and just take as long as you think you'd like. Also, it just kind of comes across a bit crap. Um, so we, we try and be fairly slick. We try and keep it quick. We have um, a lot of what we take to gigs now is fairly compact. So we're all looking to use smaller heads that you can just sort of swing out of the boot of a car onto a cab, job done. Uh, we've got pedal boards in their own cases. All the wires are already there, all the cables. Just on it goes, plug it in, jobs are good and sort of thing. Uh, we do try and keep it as swift as possible. Often as well, being as though where we live is sort of in the middle of nowhere and you kept going, we, sometimes we can get to gigs with not a lot of time to spare. So we played London three years ago. We played the Black Heart, actually, which was fantastic. Great venue. Oh, it's fantastic. So good. We only played there once. We're clawing to get back. Um, whenever that'll be, who knows? Anyway, we, we were on at 20 past four. We rocked up just outside the Black Heart at four o'clock and we thought, right, game on lads, here we go. Everything out of the car, up the stairs. We were on stage at quarter past four and I don't know how we did it. That's pretty impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't know how we pulled it off, but 
we've we've gotten quite slick with it. I think a lot of it is just doing gigs and being self-aware enough to know that other people are relying on you to be punctual. Yeah. I I think a lot of it comes down to that. And I I think if nothing else, from a sort of band perspective, you could think of it as what if another band was on before you and they you know took ages and you're sort of stood there waiting to get your stuff on and actually play and it gets so and so so delayed so there's kind of a custody to it as well good word you're not wrong yeah we've we've had that exact situation in that there have been bands before us who've sort of taken their time sort of they're like it'd be nice to get on because we don't have a lot of change over time uh it happens sometimes you know especially for when you're a younger band and we've been there too we've been that band where you just take your sweet time about stuff because you don't appreciate at that level. I, I think it's fair to say if you don't appreciate the the importance or just how how good it is to be swift and professional with that, it comes. It comes. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And of, and of course, the more likely you're to get rebooked at a, a venue if you're efficient and friendly and helpful. Exactly. We're all a community, so let's just help each other out and be good. Be kind to each other. Be, be good to each other. Be good. Is that? No, it's be excellent. Be to excellent to one another and party on, dudes. Indeed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so bands are booked to do different set lengths. You know, sometimes you can get as short as 15 minutes, you can get hours, you can get all sorts of set lengths. Do you, as a band, have sort of predetermined, say, a 15-minute set, or do you sort of work it out gig by gig? What's your approach to that? What we tend to do is... Gig by gig is the short answer, but if we have a run of gigs booked and we know they're all, say, 30-minute slots, you come up with a set list and go, oh, we'll do these songs, we reckon, yeah, all right. And then that's the set for the next three gigs, four gigs. Be it a run of gigs, be it over a month, it's easy enough for us to kind of curate a set list and then apply that to the gigs we've got. Uh, We're quite lucky in as much that some of our songs at their longest are eight minutes, and at their shortest is... Uh, 90 seconds. One of my favourite songs we do is utterly ridiculous. It's Normally we quite, we play quite introspective stuff. It's about the extinction of the dinosaurs, because why not? A lot of it comes down to just the gigs we've got and just, what do you reckon? This? Yeah. And the vibe as well. A lot of our stuff has quite different vibes. There's the psychedelic stuff. There's the atmospheric stuff. There's the quite angular punk stuff. So it depends on the kind of environment we're playing. It depends on the bills as well. Who else is on the line? So you try and so you try and sort of broadly match it to the kind of music that's being played, so you're not completely alien to the, the rest of the bands. Yeah, I mean, we've come to accept that we're going to be that band on the bill that stands out because the sort of stuff we play is just just weird, which I'm all for. But yeah, we there is usually an element of like the vibe that is going on. Also, the vibe that all four of us are in. It changes a lot, and it, in cer- certainly that's reflected in the music we write. So in terms of the music that we play, you know, if we're all quite pent up, and like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Just go all in with a real angry set. Obviously, that is set time dependent. 45 to an hour sets that we do sometimes kind of warrant the, uh, oh, let's pull out the longer ones, the slower ones, that sort of thing, because it, it's good time filler. And it's nice to have that variation in the set when you have that opportunity ebbs and flows yeah exactly exactly but for a short set then yeah just choose some songs have a vibe jobs are good and have there been 
and you can you can make this as detailed or non-specific as you like um for the sake of yourself and others have there been any nightmare gig experiences where something or things have just gone really wrong oh crazy um there was one gig and there's a few that come to mind there was one gig we did in glastonbury a couple of years ago where we did i think six songs and i played five different guitars because i broke a string on every guitar wow it was a personal record yeah how did you have so many guitars around i had mine i broke the string on mine uh there was one of our friends today like, i'll restring it like thanks mate gave that to him borrowed a friend's guitar broke his string somebody else was like do you want to borrow mine like it might not survive but sure broke his string by which time my guitar would be re- re- restrung and i broke the string on that again it was a, a bit of a comedy of errors, but it certainly stays in the memory. Do, do you need a thicker gauge of strings? Well, we, we play pretty thick strings. Well, I play pretty thick strings, but actually, maybe. I, I play um, 10 to 52s. It's a hybrid set. Uh, no, 10 to 56, sorry. 56 yeah, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. And yet, so there was that one. There was also a gig we did in Plymouth a number of years ago now. Where so we opened with our big atmospheric one on the album Slumber Song, and it starts off with these pretty chords and then goes into this quite um, anthemic chorus. And as we're coming into the pre-chorus, my delay pedal goes and takes the whole circuit down with it. So I'm there like, right, okay, what's going on here? At the same time, Kynan breaks a string. <laughs> wow! So both of us stop playing, and it's just Tim on his own and Tom trying to create this kind of ambience and atmosphere, powerful <laughs> atmosphere. Yeah. But there's nothing because it's just the two of them. Our, Tim fondly, I remember this fondly, he looked up to me after the gig and said, do not leave me like that again. I was like, yeah, sorry, mate. How do you deal with that as a band? Because obviously there's some things that just go wrong that you just kind of go, there's not a lot I can do right now. But there's there's some things you, the way you, you have the, the power to make it a good experience for those watching, which I think is really important. So what, what do you do in that kind of situation? Yeah, I think that's it. You you do just kind of roll with the punches on that one. Because you could flounder and go, oh, it's gone wrong. But I mean, that's not really what people have paid to see, ultimately. Above all else, that's not really what you want to be doing. You want to have fun at a gig. So even if it does go wrong, that that's kind of where we tend to place our hats. If I break a string, I'll pull the thing off and keep going unless it's a bottom string upon which I'll have a go at restringing. It has happened before. I did pull it off once, once being the operative word. Yeah, you, you just make the most of it, I think. So we did a, a socially distanced gig yesterday. Uh, it was a lot of good fun. But in the first song, My Delay Pedal, which has been a little funny recently, decided just to stay on. This note you're having delay the whole time. And I thought, that's not what I need. Wait for the bridge of the song, wait for the bridge of the song, tune it on, remove pedal from chain, plug back in, continue on. And then you just keep going. It's it's that kind of adapting thing, isn't it? Pick your moment to go, right, this is when I can fix this problem and then go for it. Fix it at the most appropriate moment and hope for the best. Yeah. And then once That's fair. once you've adapted to that, you just change, you know, if you need to, for instance, oh, I've broken a string and haven't got any spares, change the way you play. If a microphone goes, which we've had before, share mics with the others. It's there are ways around it usually and if it goes completely uh belly up then do what you can i suppose you've got to be light-hearted about it i think that's fair to say because otherwise pe- people watching don't have fun as well if you just get annoyed yeah that's not 
that's not a positive experience for anyone. You or the audience or the venue, as we were saying earlier. Like, let's all work together. That also means if stuff goes wrong, just keep it a good night. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. Ultimately, that is the key. I'd love to move on to the recording side of being a band and producing music kind of side of things. So you mentioned that you have been in the studio recently. So that answers one of my questions, which is if you record yourselves or go into the studio, but what has your sort of experiences been over the years um, of recording? Yeah. Wow. It's been storied. I'll say that we started out, this is cast your minds back many years ago to when we were husk and we, uh, we recorded. I suppose the way to describe it would be with a friend in a shed up the road from Tom. Um, that sounds about as acoustically professional as you think it sounds. <laughs> so, to say not very, indeed. The guy we were recording with was a friend of ours at the time, and he was a music production student, so still kind of like first rung of a ladder kind of thing. You know, it's fair to say without him, we wouldn't have the first album that we did. But it was very much of its time. It was very much, this sounds like a college stroke university band doing a metal album, because that's what it was. Uh, after a, a couple of sessions like that as a band, and this is when Kynan came into the mix, we said, we kind of need to change things up a bit. We need to record better. We need to do this properly. And when we did Slumber Song, we went to a place called Joe's Garage in Bristol, uh, underneath the Exchange, which is one of our favorite venues ever. And the guy who runs it, um, Joe is absolutely brilliant and his whole approach to running a studio is great. Uh, we recorded with his friend James, who they're, they're in a band together and they're quite a collectively quite an integral part of the Bristol music scene. For us, it was like that was kind of our first experience of recording in a proper studio. Eye opening. Yeah, properly, properly eye opening. Really, really cool. At the time of recording that album, admittedly, we didn't really know what we were doing or more accurately, we didn't really know what we could do because in a studio, you can, the sky is the limit. The sky is absolutely the limit, but it's only the limit if you realize that. We didn't, we thought, well, here's the songs. We need to make them sound like how we know them to sound. And that's what we did with Slumber Song. There were maybe three songs that had more than two guitar tracks, for instance, or other uh, layers going on. And that was down to our inexperience of recording, I think. And it felt very, you know, we, we took two weeks off work. We did it in one block mostly. And it felt like, oh, we're, in a, we're a proper band. We're doing this properly. It felt like that. But it was still the first time we did that. And from there, we kind of went, right, this is what the base level of professional, air quotes, recording is. We then have done all our recording since then in a place called Stage 2 Studios, just outside of Bath, with a guy called Josh, who plays in a band called Foxjaw, name drop. They're very cool. Josh is a wizard. Josh is nothing short of a wizard. Not simply does he make you sound absolutely amazing on records, but as a producer to work with, he's fantastic. We're talking about the sky being the limit. Obviously, we are now a more mature band than we were when we did Slumber Song, which was four years ago, five years ago. We know a lot more about what we can do as musicians and as a band. That goes for recording too. Hey, this would sound cool if we did this, or this would sound cool if we did this. You know, there are those things. Josh is really good for that too. He, first and foremost, is a musician, so he gets it. 
he gets and he gets what you want to hear from your song as well. So he'll say, hey, how about the tambourine on this part? And for instance, the recording session we did recently, we rocked up to the studio and he said, yeah, I've, I've turned an old telephone into a microphone. Have a go with this. Absolutely brilliant. Fair. So there was one section where the, the vocals are quite kind of dour and quiet and um, Tim does the lead on that part and he just sang it into this telephone and it sounds absolutely brilliant. It's stuff like that. You, you try things. Um, I brought my slide along because I thought, I wonder if this needs a slide part. Turns out it did need a slide part. But it, it's that kind of thing. You start thinking less about, I have this song. This song is four people, so there are four parts. And it becomes this entity of, how can we make this sound like what it needs to sound like? And once you kind of have that sort of idea in your mind that you can do more than just four bits and some vocals with the right producer and the right studio, you can do anything. And that's where we're at at the moment. I think we've kind of had that collective realization. I have no doubt there'll be more things like that. The next time we record properly, we'll probably realize something else. But at the moment, we now understand that you can do absolutely anything in the studio. And I know that's quite a basic thing for people to kind of, well, yeah, obviously. But until you're actually there doing it, it's not necessarily as obvious as it sounds. So would you say that having uh, a producer involved has really helped you sort of expand your horizons, for want of a better phrase? Someone who can take your idea and go, well, have you thought about this or have you thought about doing that on this section? I think that bands that would opt not to work with producers are actually limiting themselves. Uh, He doesn't produce all our stuff. We write our stuff. And then it's only when we get to the studio that Josh will say, hey, this would be cool with tambourine or ideas like that. That's all it needs to be, I think. But I think bands that aren't open to that, I no, 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 we won't work with the producer or we will keep it as in-house as possible, are kind of missing their right arm. I, I would absolutely recommend working with a producer because as we talked about playing versus listening, it's kind of that thing again. When you're recording and you have an idea of what your music sounds like in your head, that's what you're going to get. A producer is somebody, he's there at that moment in time, he's listening live and can say, hey, this would be cool with X, Y, Z. He's the guy you need. He's the guy you want to be when you're that point because he can step back and listen to the music that you're playing. And I think it just makes it, it elevates it with the right person, that is. I think you can elevate this this core idea that you have, this core song. You can make it actually fill the space of uh, sonically, but also emotionally, I guess, what it could be and should be often. So yeah, no, producers all the way, man. All the way. I've got to ask this question because I kind of think you're the kind of band who do weird things sometimes in your music. So what's the weirdest thing that you've put on a track in the studio? Maybe it's not audible, but you know it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, this might be recency bias, I don't know, but this recent session was sort of a bit bizarre. So Tim's got this old guitar. It's a Tysco guitar from the mid-70s, I think. A gorgeous guitar. Sounds great. Real kind of lo-fi, fuzzy, attacky sound. I don't know what's going on with the wiring in that guitar, but the pickups, not only do they pick up the strings, but they also pick up background noise. Right. I did my slide guitar take on this guitar, and after doing one of the takes, I looked up at Josh and said, that's the one, man. And we listened back, and... 
you could hear me say on the audio track, that's the one, man. I thought, okay, let's leave that in. So that, that was left in. We get to the last chorus, and just before starting the slide part, I picked the guitar up and yelled into the pickups, just absolutely howled into the pickups, and then started playing the section. And nobody in the room was expecting it. That includes me. I didn't know I was going to do that. But we did and finished it and went, cool, that's the take then. <laughs> that is the end of it. And it's in the track? Oh, yeah. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's going to be in the track. I don't know whereabouts in the mix it'll be. Um, probably not massively prevalent because of where it is in the song. So it's coming out of quite, quite a quiet part into the big chorus. There's a lot of other stuff going on and the vocals take the lead on that. But if you listen closely, Charlie screaming into a guitar will be in there somewhere. Excellent. Well, wh- why not? <laughs> why not? Why not indeed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like you've sort of answered this question throughout the entirety of this interview but as a band what have you been doing during lockdown to stay productive over the last seven months or so yeah crikey what a time huh obviously there's a recording thing as restrictions have been eased a little bit we we felt we could do it in a safe enough manner the studio are treating it quite seriously so we thought well this is an opportunity for us to make some music and so we did we have a bunch of songs at the moment that aren't recorded. So we, we are looking to write our second album. We're conceptualizing that. We've got ideas. But a lot of the songs that we already have that aren't recorded don't really fit that. So we thought, hey, singles, why not? So we've, we've recently, that's been our push, is do singles, get content out, great. But looking back during lockdown, obviously there's no way we could come together and do music or anything like that. Apart from just checking in with each other regularly, like, hey, how you doing, guys? What's up? You know, that sort of thing. Having more meeting you type things to plan what we want to do when we could. We opted to do a bunch of live streams. Um, not necessarily musically based. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw some of them. Yeah. I um, My my personal favourite one was uh, I got drunk and talked about the Battle of Stalingrad <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> well. <laughs> a lot of fun. That degree was useful after all. Well, that's it. I mean, you've got to use it, right? So, yeah. So we, we wanted to keep something happening over lockdown. And we thought, well, this is an opportunity for us to just kind of mess around a bit, have a bit of fun, but also still be there for people with people. Ultimately, that's what it is. We're, we're a band. We, we write music for us, but we share it with people. And that shouldn't necessarily stop during lockdown. Maybe the nature of what you're sharing and what you're you know, what, what you're doing with and for people might change, but the, the vibe stayed the same. Let, let's just be be there. Let's be there. Let's have some fun with our mates. Hence the getting drunk and talking about Stalingrad. I think Tim painted a big styrofoam skull. Kynan made, ah, oh, what did, he made pasta from scratch. Yes. Great. Wasn't there a mix, uh, yeah, cocktail making one? Yeah, Tim just... His first one was he just got drunk on live stream based on suggestions that people sent wow. him. Brave man. It, it was, a uh, yeah, braver than most, it must be said. I think what I really liked about those live streams is you. it was important to show your fans, you know, we're still here, <laughs> we're still going, we've not stopped, which I think is, is half the battle in a way. But then it's also you were successfully avoiding what, a lot of bands were doing so a lot of bands are doing sort of maybe acoustic live stream gigs and things like that which is great but when there's so many bands doing 
the same or similar things. You found a way of standing out in a very kind of distinct but good way. Yeah, we, we wanted to do something that would uh, would lead to that. I'm part of a, quite a few Facebook groups of kind of live music in England, and it's always either a dad soloing on a Les Paul or a couple playing nice acoustic songs, which, as you say, is great because all music is there to be shared and loved, but the, the point still stands. Saturation is still a thing. Yeah, a lot of our songs actually, we well, we, we think, translate quite well acoustically. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily want to do that all the time when you can do something different. And this is it. Yeah, okay, these, these are difficult times and that would be quite a good option. And indeed, we did do a few. I think Tim did an acoustic session. I did one where I just played my favourite songs. Literally, a, well, not a dad, but a, a man soloing on Les Paul, but go figure. But yeah, no, we thought this is time for us to be able to share not just the music we do but our personalities as well and i think that's something that maybe on off topic slightly but i think that's something that a lot of bands almost forget that they are oh well we're just a band aren't we no you're still people so share that you can share that in your performances in your music and your kind of wider content why not do that there is nothing stopping you doing that and th this is where very much where we were at with that why not do something a bit different we stand to lose nothing. I think th this is part of the reason why I wanted to, in wanted to interview you, because something that you and your band get really right, that a lot of bands don't, which I think you got to the crux of, is you don't try and hide who you are as people. You actively show who you are as people. And so you have some weird and wonderful music videos. I mean, I'll leave it at that. People can discover them for themselves. <laughs> but... You know, you, you watch it, and I, f I feel like at the end of watching a music video, I know you, which which sounds odd, but it, it's a really hard thing to do. But I think it's something you do really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that's something we've always strived to do, I think. The, well, no, certainly the older we've gotten, the less uh, the less we care about, oh, we need to perform to a standard or we need to fit this whole. Just do you. Um, ultimately, you know, kind of on a personal level, life is just too short to not do you so do you and i think this is something that a lot of folks our age kind of eventually do pick up you know like let's just, just be yourself why not in terms of the band we are we we've kind of hit on this stride of like why not be us it's we like each other obviously otherwise we wouldn't be in a band can you imagine how awkward that would be so we might as well have fun with it and we again this comes down to what we were saying if you have fun at a live show, the audience will have fun. And that remains true, I think, of other things you might do, be it, like you say, music videos or um, some of the weird photo shoots we've done or even just the dumb content we did during lockdown. It's still us as people enjoying ourselves. And I think that's, you know, if I was on the other side, if I was a music fan, if I, I am a music fan, if I was watching a band sort of thing, put out content, put out whatever, I would want to see them enjoying themselves because you, I don't know, again, maybe I'm going a bit broad here, but there's a lot of negativity in the world, a whole lot of negativity in the world. And that's quite sad to see. And a lot of people just kind of resign themselves to that. But that's not what it's about. It's about making the most of what you have and being the best you that you can and just having a laugh, basically. Why not? And I think that is something that we always aim to do as people, as musicians, as a band. For sure. Good mantra.
A final question for me, which again, is something you've sort of already answered, but we'll go for it anyway, just to see what you say. What are the goals for the band in the next, say, six months to a year? What do you hope to achieve by that time? We have the beginnings of a roadmap. Within six months to a year, we aim to have released two singles, one of which will be coming soonish, one of which will be coming slightly less soonish. But we're working on the first one. Well, both are recorded. We've got music videos to do for both. We're planning one. We're about to shoot another. And then there'll be the, the artwork and marketing, etc. That will come out probably January, February. And then the next one, Q2 2021. In the meantime, we will be plugging away at album two. We have a lot of fun ideas, that, a lot of really interesting ideas. Something that I've not seen a band of our level, of our ilk, do ever. So that'll be interesting to see, A, whether it works, and B, how good it'll be. I'm intrigued. We believe in the concept. Uh, watch this space, he says, yeah. Now, it, it'll be good. And we are just on the cusp, if you will, of writing that bunch of songs. We have one song written that we've all gone, this is for the album. This is the start of that. And we're going to soon lock ourselves away in our rehearsal studio and just chip away at that massive stone because we're really excited about what that's going to sound like. There's a whole lot of, well, to put it one way, there's a whole lot of living we've all done in the time between Slumber Song and now. So there's a lot of personal content we can upload to that. We are better musicians, fact. I don't think it was bad back then, but you look back, it's just it's better now. That's just practice, isn't it? So we're also more accomplished songwriters, as we said about the studio thing. This next album that comes out, yeah, we're feeling it. So yeah, the next six months to a year are going to be, it's kind of a couple of singles, writing an album. There'll probably be another couple of dumb photo shoots and some weird content here and there. Some strange merch, I should think. Yeah, no, watch this space. It's an exciting time to be part of Sale, for sure. Excellent. Well, to close out the interview, I would love to play at the end of this episode your favourite song, as in your favourite song from your own band. So tell us what it is and why you would like it to be played. Recency bias is a thing, so I can't tell you some of them because they're not out yet. But in terms of the content we do have, I'd say probably, I think Shimmer, which is kind of the, the closer-ish on Slumber Song, our uh, first album, I guess. I like Shimmer. Shimmer's quite an intimate song, despite being very long. It's a real look into what it means to kind of lose somebody and then just sort of accept that and then find yourself again in that. Yes, it's a cliche, but cliches are there for a reason. I like the way we did it. We talked earlier about studio versus live and what you can do in the studio. That's a prime example, by the way. I'm digressing somewhat of what you can do in a studio. We missed a whole bunch of stuff on that song in the studio. We play it now live so much better. Still, you know, I, I think the, the kind of intimate, real sort of smallness of the emotions is, is comes across in that. And I, I think we're all, we all fire on, on the cylinders on that one. It's, it's a real nice personal song. I really like it. I think it's a good stamp of where we were at the time and partly what is to come. Mm. Good. Well, this is Sale with Shimmer. So, Charlie, it was really good to talk to you. Bill, it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Ciao.